Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, welcome to the 398th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Mike Slane. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Tom Morris on the podcast. Finally, he's a buddy. We've been trying to get him on for a while, but he's always so busy doing his his thing. Too busy working. He's become a really good friend of mine almost overnight, overnight by Hollywood standards. I think I met him maybe like a year and a half ago. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. And I worked on a job with him. I did some visual effects on something he directed. And he was just like, hey, let's grab a drink or lunch or something. He doesn't drink anything other than water. It's a weird thing mm-hmm. about him. We talk about it a little bit. We'll see if it makes it in the episode. Yeah. We just became friends. And it, it's a thing. Like, I, do you do that, Matt? I, I feel like you don't. Make friends? Um, it's not make friends like reach out to other people that do the same thing you do. And I know you're going to give me some lecture about having this podcast. And I think you said that in the interview, but it's like, it's, it's different. I have like a little network of director friends. You're, you're a mm-hmm. part of it, but like mm-hmm. Carlin and Tom and a few other friends, a few past guests of the podcast that I call to just talk about directing things when I'm pitching on stuff, I get their advice the brain trust. Yeah. 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 And recently, you know, Jessica Sanders, uh, she's a mm-hmm. past guest. Mm-hmm. She's been directing commercials for a million years. And she was talking to me about profit participation, which is uh, something that commercial directors often get, which is you get a percentage of, if you come under budget, you get a percentage of how much you came under budget. Like it can be 10%, 20%, kind of depends on a lot of different things and what your deal is with the company you work at. But I've actually never gotten anything out of it participated in said profits i've never participated in said profits and allegedly the current company i'm with will participate with me in some profits they calculate them 90 days after the end of the calendar year but jessica was saying to me hey you're i get my profits after every single shoot 90 days after every shoot i get my profits and sometimes my profits are more than my rate so she's like, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you're leaving like tens of thousands of dollars on the table if you're not fighting for yeah. these profits. She also recommended to me this guy who Carlin also recommended. His name is Scott something. And he, you basically hire him as a consultant. I think he, he's, you know, you got to pay a pretty penny for him. I think uh, some, somewhere in the vicinity of $400 an hour for him to look at your contract. But Supposedly, he's an expert at commercial directing contracts. 
and, and how, so he can, A, he can help you maybe get repped if he can think of a right place for you. Um, mm-hmm. but he can also just say, Oh, this com- these two companies want to sign with you. You should sign with this company and let me negotiate your deal. And from what I hear, he's way more than worth it because if you are getting, if you know, he, you hire him for two, three, four hours, and mm-hmm. then you get off your first jobs, a few couple thousand dollars in profit participation. He's, then there he's you paid go. for the reason I bring that up is because I don't know what's wrong with me, but I, I've, I've never really thought of this as like a income source and never really fought for it too much. But when Jessica told me about it, I reached out to my network of directors. I said, do you guys get profit? Like Tom, do you get Carlin? Are you getting profit? participation?" reached out to all my people. And so, yes. So that's my question to you. And it's part, part of this is a question to you. And part of it is like my advice to other directors Uh is like, it seems weird, but try to become friends with other directors that are doing what you're doing. Even the ones you're competing against, even the other ones. And, you know, obviously you went to film school, so you had this whole network of directors. And I assume you were kind of competitive with each other too, to some degree. I, you know, I don't, isn't it like only some people get to direct thesis films and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. But that's more of a political game than it is, uh, uh, anything else. And so I think there were kids who were mad then. I'm sure there were kids who were mad then, but for the most part, you know, it was a long time ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that like, uh, first of all, co-signed, it's good to have, uh, a group of people that you can rely on to ask business questions, creative questions, etc. I think that's really good. I think that Tom is, um, a really affable guy. And so his, he has a knack for just like, you know, chatting people up and, and putting himself out there and, you know, saying hello. I think it served him really well and is really cool. And I think that, yeah, you know, I think that I used to have that more over the years have let that fall by the wayside. I had, you know, I think everyone kind of over the course of their career, they, they, they go through cycles of different versions of their career or lives or attitudes. And so Certainly film school was one time I had a lot of like web video internet buddies and then working director buddies. And then in the last few years, I've let it kind of fall by the wayside as my life has gotten a little bit more complicated. You know, it takes a lot of bandwidth to um, maintain relationships, you know, and so it does. But I think part of why I like my little band of fellow directors, commercial directors specifically, is because because it does take a lot of energy and I used to rely on my wife for all of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, obviously Mm -hmm. you too, I talk to you a lot about work, obviously in public, but I would say like, Oh, I, I want to get this job and I wrote this script and can you read this and can you do this? And can I have this? Mm -hmm. Do you have ideas? And, and she would be like, dude, chill out. Like don't talk about work for five minutes. We gotta, we have all this other life stuff to figure out. And I don't want to just hear about, your anxiety about work mm-hmm, all the time. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I've tried to, I mean, I obviously still talk to her about the big decisions and I, and I bring a lot of the celebrations and the wins there. And obviously like some of the big losses, like, ah, oh, I didn't get this job. I'm so sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she'll, you know, make me feel better or whatever. But the like minutia of it, 
I, mm-hmm. I now instead of bringing it to you're, her, you're I bring not like, it to friends. Babe, what do you think of these two fonts? <laughs> you know, hold on, let me show you a few more. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that that's right, and I think that this conversation with Tom, um, I thought I'll, it's rare that we record our intros um, so far after the conversation, but for whatever reason, for whatever reason, that's what's happened this time. And I've thought about Tom, the conversation with Tom, a lot um, because I think that there's a lot of really great points that he makes and just kind of casually drives by. And it reminded me of a lot of the things that I used to do to stay sharp, to stay busy, to stay connected, um, that have, you know, I, I, my life has changed a little bit. And so I left that conversation excited to reignite certain things in my life, you know, to, to get back to reaching out to director friends or just not even director friends. Cause I think there are people probably in different markets where it's like, well, I know every director in my town and it's two of us. <laughs> right. Um, but like creative people, you know, people who are passionate about making things together or alone and, and sharing ideas and sharing the business and craft of, of it all. So I think it was a really great conversation. Yeah. And Tom, he's not like, you know, a 21 year old, like recent film mm-hmm. school grad that's like, he's can got travel responsibilities. To to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got three yeah. kids. He's married. He's got, you know, responsibilities and money has spent. Mm-hmm. So it's not, he, despite all that, he really is mm-hmm. great at, networking and going out and meeting people and meeting clients and doing, doing all the things. So I I think it's a, it's a really good interview with him. He's a great resource and I encourage you to, to find your other filmmaker friends. Mm -hmm. And I think most filmmakers like to talk to other people. And even if they, you think you look up to them and they're a few years ahead of you and their career, Mm -hmm. like, I, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, I'm probably the worst at it, but I love to talk about filmmaking to whoever wants to talk to sure, It doesn't matter sure. what stage they are in their career as long as they're passionate. So I think feel free to reach out to anyone you meet that is a filmmaker and they might not respond to you, uh, but they might also respond to you. So it's, it's super helpful. You know, you're making me think of one other point before we get into our conversation with Tom, just about myself and about that. I think maybe people can relate to because I, you know, currently I'm working with, a whole team of people that I like very much who are all very creative post people, writers, you know, like the whole gamut. And in a lot of ways that scratches the itch uh, of having meaningful, creative conversations about the work. And then off also about more lofty things, you know, that happens from seven thirty in the morning till hopefully five or six at night. Right. Yeah. Pretty regularly. But that is not the same as what you were describing even though it sort of feels the same, you know, and and I think that creative jobs, jobs where you use your artistry are not the same as you doing your art is something I say on the show all the time. And it kind of that idea applies to what you're presenting as well. Oren. talking about creative things is not talking about, not the same as talking about your creativity with your peers. Right. Yeah. And also I bet with your work colleagues, it's harder to like lament and complain and well see like they like, uh, I, I didn't get this job or this didn't work out. Mm-hmm, like you have, mm-hmm. especially in your position there, you kind of are a leader. So you have to be a little positive. 
Well, uh, err on the positive side, right? I I am aware of the fact that people need to complain about their boss, and for (laughs) for most of the people I work with, I I I am their boss, you know, Mm -hmm. and so there's a little bit of like at meetings you should just say like plug your ears and say for the next five minutes complain about yeah, me every, everyone you have you have uh, yeah. no but but tr- truly though like if you come in and you're like hey listen we got to do this thing that i know no one wants to do i'm gonna let them gossip at lunch you know it's not, it's not like i'm like you know creating a forum for that or whatever but like i guess what i'm saying is that i understand it one last thing i want to say about our talk with tom is we didn't have it before the strike uh ended the sag strike ended so i don't know we'll see what noah leaves in there or not but Orin, do you remember you you called it? Oh, I said I hope it's over by the time this airs. You anticipate you said I think it's gonna be done by the end of the week. And I remember being like, What are you talking about, dude? And it was. Oh, yeah. I think I just read something promising and dead on deadline or something right before we recorded. But yeah, do you think this will affect you? Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean absolutely. obviously your for your feature it affects you a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like literally we're gonna stop recording and I'm gonna finish off our letters. So, yes. Um, but also, I think there are probably plenty of listeners at home who are like, no, it's not going to affect me at all. I'm not trying to make a movie. I don't work in the union or whatever. There's a halo effect about work being done and the ecosystem kind of leveling out a little bit more. Um, I have not worked as much commercially this year, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, people who are higher in the food chain, people who are doing television shows. Um, not doing television shows for the last, you know, couple hundred days and needing to put food on the table. So they are taking jobs that like, you know, normally I would get. Yeah. Even TV actors. I know I, yeah. At my preschool, there's a TV actor that works a lot. That's been on a million shows and you would recognize him. And he, I was just talking to him the other day. I was like, what have you been doing during the strike? He's like, Dude, I just do commercials all the time, nonstop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, what? You're a commercial actor? He's like, I wasn't, but now I am. And it's like, yeah, because people recognize you. So you book these commercials super easily. <laughs> I don't think that a year from now we'll be like, wow, now that the strike is gone, my life has changed. I think they will be incremental and small, barely noticeable things. But I think that our lives will be. Yeah, and it'll ramp up. Better. It, and I better. do think yeah. there is a general relief in town and i'm saying the town Mm -hmm. in quotes like hollywood across the world you know the industry Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where the diaspora of hollywood is what you mean yeah (laughs) Yeah. people are just afraid that like production people don't want to get in trouble people are just Mm -hmm. nervous companies don't Mm -hmm. know have trouble Mm -hmm. planning for things when the strike is going on there's uncertainty yeah and now Assuming this this contract gets ratified, there will be more certainty. Yeah, there's. I think I'm already hearing production stuff. My wife just got a got called back for a show she was on uh, for the third season. So, yeah, when we had no nice. idea if that was ever going to happen or not, but it did. So, anyhow, uh, we'll see what happens. But we promised Noah a very short intro, and now we've been talking for fifteen minutes. So. <laughs> We will let you all go after Matt tells you about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot It Pod is the place where you can go and support the show. If you get something out of the show, if you've learned a thing or two, if you find it to be a comfort in some way, throw us a buck or two. Orin, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we had a little bit of a dip. A few people had to 
for whatever reason, canceled their Patreon subscriptions. And so we are no longer covering our costs of production on the show. Did you know that? Uh, I mean, I guess I didn't look at the numbers. I did know mm-hmm. that our Patreon dipped a bit. Is that because I'm the person who pays Noah? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but uh, luckily we got Mike Slane, who uh, yeah. signed up at $15. Shout out, Slane. By the way, yeah, Mike yeah. got a free Blackmagic 6K Pro Cinema camera <laughs> from mm-hmm. us. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I guess he's slowly paying us back for that. Uh, yeah. $15 a month. But so, yeah, like if you get something out of the show and you want it to keep going, we're going to keep doing it. But honestly... It is a little bit of a bummer <laughs> to just be back out of pocket again. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, we the, the Patreon is really a, a truly just people wanting to support us without getting that a lot in return other than the feeling of supporting us. It's like it's like donating to NPR, except, you know, we uh, have a smaller operation than NPR. Uh, so we appreciate you. Sign up. Uh, please, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. Even a dollar a month will put a smile on our faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, without further delay, let's talk to Tom Morris. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, we're here with Tom Morris. Welcome, Tom. Hello, thanks for having me. Tom, you and I know each other a little bit. You and Oren are pretty tight. I follow you on Instagram. It appears as though, Tom, you are on a hot streak. That's right. That is very impressive and very exciting. And not only that, but you uh, you have a, a young family 
and you take the whole circus with you wherever you're you're shooting. That's right. Yeah. Last two and a half years, they've been on every set, basically, minus one. So adorable selfies in director's chairs. You've got the little contacts around their heads. You guys are exploring all these different cities. But the root of the question is I have a basic understanding that you did some kind of out of the box thinking, let's say, to really jumpstart this this hot streak. If you have a theory of how I did it, let me know. But uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of fell into commercials on accident. And so pre-pandemic, I got kind of grouped into like a director's collective, a commercial collective. And my Monday through Friday was spent working with my writing producing partner on the narrative side. And so Monday through Friday, I was like, oh my gosh, how do we get our next script financed? And what of our movies are ending on what platforms and how do we get them, you know, new distribution. And when I would get called for. And you directed a a few features, right? Yeah. Pre pandemic, we made like four and eight years. Um, And so that's all I thought about. I was like, Oh, I was making movies. When you say we made, you directed some of them. I directed three of them. And then the fourth one um, was a film that I directed second unit produced. And uh, my good friend, Tyler McIntyre, came on to direct that's probably the biggest most successful movie it was called tragedy girls and i i basically talked the executive producers out of hiring me to direct it i wanted Mm -hmm. to like call their bluff and have them make a movie that i wanted to make a a comedy and they're like no we just like tragedy girls direct the thing and i was like i can't do horror make my movie and they're like we'll just get another director and i was like okay wait a minute keep me on keep me on and so uh i was able to get my friend tyler in there but yeah Pre-pandemic. Wait, so you it. Did you write it? Uh, so a, a guy that we went to film school with named Justin Olson had written the original draft. And my uh, old like college roommate, best friend, producing partner, he really wanted to direct the film. And so we brought Justin in, we optioned the rights, and we basically spent about six months developing it with my producing partner, Elliot. And then uh, at some point, Elliot got swept up into the commercial production world, um, production managing for his brother. And so the script was with the production company and they're like, well, let's keep working on it. And so, yeah, my writing partner, Jazz and I, we kept on kind of like shaping it. And when the two executives got serious about saying, this is the first movie we want to make, Tom, you should direct it. I had another script that I wanted to do. And so I was like, ah, I don't know if I should. Like, I don't even watch horror movies. I get too scared. Um, and so, yeah, Tyler had a, Tyler had like $150,000 movie that was making the rounds and winning festivals and getting a lot of recognition. And he had edited my first two films. And so, um, it made sense for us to say, Tyler, you should meet these guys and take a look at what we have and we'll come up with ideas and develop it. And so we spent about six months with Tyler developing it, uh, him and his writing partner, Chris Hill who are credited with writing uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, which is currently out. They came in, took a look at what we had, started shaping the movie. We worked with them. And then ultimately, um, I was able to convince the executives to say, hey, Tyler should do this film. And then I was able to direct Second Unit, uh, got to do a lot of really cool car-to-car chases, motorcycle stuff, a lot of the stunts, a lot of the crazy people getting sucked up on chains and heads going through table saws and all the gory things that needed two units and two cameras and fake limbs and all that. I was able to go off and shoot, but um, yeah, didn't direct the movie. Tyler directed that movie. 
it uh, it kind of launched his career and blew him up. And so he's been doing a lot of cool things. But yeah, to to the commercial end, uh, pre-pandemic. Honey baked ham commercial. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, that's where I'm at now. Uh, but pre-pandemic, I was like, you know, doing the movie thing. And it was like my producing partner had a crystal ball December before 2020. He basically, you know, we had a movie that we just finished that was set to come out in February of 2020. Uh, we had just finished this movie and it was kind of like a, like a layup for like a different, you know, a bigger movie in the same genre. It was like a high stakes breakup film. And I had another script in the same genre that I wanted to do for like 2 million. And I was like, well, we do this micro budget version one, it goes well, then we can like say that we've done the genre and we could do it again. And he kind of had this crystal ball. He came to me in December and said, I think we shut down the business after 10 years. He's like, you know, we made these movies and we've had a good run, but he wanted to go into farming and his family's a family of farmers. And so uh, he got out of Hollywood in LA right before the pandemic. And so coming into 2020, I was like, great, I got my movie coming out. I have this other script I've been shopping around. I've become pretty good friends with this finance company that's what 2020 will be, you know, mm-hmm. time to make a time to make a good movie type of thing. And then, um, yeah, like everybody pandemic hit, everything just shut down. Obviously, indie film became extremely hard to put together. And so I started to lean very heavily on my commercial rep. And I was like, hey, what can we get going? What can we do? And like everybody, you know, they were trying, they were trying to take swings and figure out remote production and get stuff going. And ultimately, you know, I don't think anybody did stuff in the first couple of months. So there's no fault there. About eight months into the pandemic, they're like, we got to let you go. It's time to cut mm. you loose. Mm. And I was like, man, okay. And so um, pre-pandemic, you know, I would get shortlisted every month, it seemed like, and I'd be doing one or two treatments. And I was getting about eight a year. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my expenses were very low. I was a single man living with my producing partner in Studio City in a basement. And sure. So yeah. eight, eight jobs a year, no problem. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Coming in, yeah, exactly. Like if I was making between eighty and ninety k, it was like, oh gosh, I was taking the intern for sushi, two hundred dollars, sure. didn't sure. care. Um, and, and you so were then, also making money on your indie films. Yeah, well, that's the funny thing is that uh, we, you know, the first two, I was dumb enough to say, I don't want a salary. Let me just own the thing. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, the first movie, you know, it did fine. Uh, we made it about a half million dollars. It came out. It got a theatrical release with Warner Brothers. Um, money came in. We got to give some money to the investors. And then it kind of just like flatlined, like right at the number that we needed to start experiencing the waterfall, you know, like mm-hmm. this, this like 75, 25 split. We basically got to that number and it just kind of like went stagnant. And so then the second movie kind of had like a nice little pop out of the beginning. We were able to give money to the investors, pay them back, get like a little bit. Same and then again, it, the first one. No, the first movie we did for about 500,000 for 483. Uh, and then that movie did fine. And we were like, well, wait a minute, if we can make a movie for like mm-hmm. 50,000 and it does the same business, we're sure. going to be awesome. That's a business uh, so, plan, then. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so we set out to make the second movie um, for about fifty, and we ended up coming in about eighty-five thousand. But that movie, you know, it it did what it did. It got on Hulu. It had like a nice little pop right out of the beginning. We were able to pay the investors, and it made money. And then, um, yeah, seven years went by, and like you know, you just kind of forget about it. 
And so when 2020 hit and any commercial prospects I had dried up and um, the films that I had been working on, kind of like everybody, like, how do you make an indie film with COVID going on? Uh, that second movie found its legs on AVOD. Tubi really became mm-hmm. a platform where I don't know if we just hit in the algorithm right, but I remember that first quarter being like, what am I going to do with myself? I have no transferable skills. I actually applied to a Pizza Hut store in mm-hmm. downtown LA, like as an essential worker, like I'll come mm-hmm. make pizzas and deliver pizzas. And I do have a tie to Pizza Hut on the commercial side, but uh, I was like, I know a lot about the pizzas. I should get a job at the store. Whoa, 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 wait. And you're, never... you're like, well, I've directed a Pizza Hut commercial, so maybe I could make some pizzas for you. Yeah, well, at that time, yeah, exactly. Uh, my sisters at Pizza Hut, photo at the shooting store as like the head of production. So since like 2014, she's been on every photo shoot, TV commercial integration, all the stuff. Gotcha. And gotcha. Through my years, I've you know I've made pizzas and hand selected pepperonis and found cheese and have been involved in like every aspect of it. So yeah, pandemic hit and I thought, great, I can get a job at Pizza Hut. Like I know the pizzas. And they never called me back. Um, they never even called me back. And so like, I was like, what? no experience. in retail. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, what am I to do? And so then quarter one, uh, my distributor hits me up and he's like, hey, I noticed that your bank account was inactive because my producing partner and I, at the end of 2019, we shut down mm-hmm. our business. Sure, sure. I opened up my own entity to be like a sole director. And then um, he's like, yeah, Is your bank account's corp? inactive. What do you mean? I am an right? LLC. But we had we had a company called Pelican House Productions that used to hold the copyright to all of our movies, had a bank account with Wells Fargo. And so if there were royalties. It would be direct deposited there. And, you know, royalties had slowed down. We officially shut down that entity in 2019. 2020, I set up my own loan out because the commercial company I was with was like AB5. Uh, you have to now have your own entity so we can pay you as like a consulting, you know, mm-hmm. creative or whatever. AB5 was a law that passed in California that basically said you can't pay contractors without giving them health insurance and all these benefits. Right, right. right? Basically, yeah, so the, you have to turn into a vendor instead the, the of the gig worker, plan. the gig worker um, protections plan, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I set up a new entity and the distributor, but I didn't, I didn't think to give them that bank account and that sure. in, that stuff. And so, yeah, I very quickly transferred the copyright to all the titles to my new entity. And then he's like, I think the first check at the beginning of the pandemic was like 12 grand. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, after seven years. And <laughs> sure. at that point, yeah. I, I basically owned the movie outright, you know, with accounting and taxes and whatever the investors had said you know, Hey, we're good. Like, you know, we made some money and it's when you have high net worth dealing with K ones and tax returns and write-offs, it became more beneficial just to say, we're out, you know, we've had a nice run for the last five years. We're done. And so there I was owning this movie. This is the $50,000 movie. The the $84,000 movie. Yeah. That started at 50 became 84. And, uh, yeah. So then, you know, 2020, I just kept getting checks every quarter and I was like, wow, okay. But um, yes, so to get to it, I my my reps dropped me in 2020. I had no idea what I was doing. I ended up becoming like a COVID officer uh on all that Pizza Hut stuff because mm-hmm. they went into they went into beast mode and basically did back to back ordering pizzas. Because <laughs> literally or making ordering them. pizzas. Yeah. 
Yes. Well, yes, exactly. They, you know, like everybody, nobody shot the first half of the year. And so once the uh, regulations became in place, they created a bubble at their studio and they're like, now's the time to redo the website. And when they redo the website, you got to get a picture of every ingredient. You know, if mm-hmm. someone's going to go in there and do a custom builder, it's like, you got to have every pepperoni and you got to have mm-hmm. cheese. And, and so, um, and then, you know, different things just started slotting in. But yeah, we went every day from like the round July until December 19th with only Thanksgiving off. And so every day of my life, I was COVID officer guy. And it, I started just thinking like, I'm never going to direct again. Like it's done, you know, my nice run and these movies and all the stuff. And so at the start of 2021, I was about to have um, twins. My wife, you know, my wife and I were about, to, she was pregnant, but we were about to have these twins. And I was like, I can't be doing COVID every day. Like one, that's the best chance to get COVID is trying to test people for COVID. <laughs> sure. And two, uh, it's, it's long hours for not the, not the director rate, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I essentially went to my Rolodex, everybody that I had ever worked with and that I knew. And, uh, yeah, I said, Hey, look, I'm, you know, I'm out on the street freelancing as a commercial director. Uh, I've been set free about a year ago and I'm ready to take on anything. It doesn't matter the budget, like I'm ready to go. And so Did you send a reel with that. Yeah, I I would send stuff. And, you know, a lot of people were aware of my stuff and always very polite about it. And so what I ended up doing, like the week before the twins showed up and my wife was on set. Can I ask, when you were hitting those people up, because we've all been in that situation, right? And the anxiety that I always have is like that, you know, there's the saying work begets work, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, And the inverse is true as well, right? Like when you're looking for work, you're, it's, it feels like you're devaluing yourself a little bit. You're making yourself right. look needy, sweaty, and therefore people kind of maybe subconsciously make some assumptions about, yeah. you know, well, why isn't he in demand, right? Was there anything you did to com- combat that? Did you have any tactics or were you just like, here we go, we're just going to do it, and that's that? Yeah, so exactly to your point, um, there were a couple people, you know, again, my entrance into commercials, I didn't know what I was stumbling into. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I was doing these movies and then I got asked to pitch on a music video. And that was the first time someone paid me to direct something. And it got like a hundred million views in the first month. Uh, And so Lindsay Sterling music video, you know, yeah, it's a Lindsay Sterling video. It's the lady that plays violin and dubsteps. And uh, I did this Western duel and she had a big following and I think we just had the right combination of like interesting storytelling, some different camera stuff she hadn't done, uh, but it just kind of popped. And so at the time she was with Maker Studios, Mm -hmm. uh, which was Disney's entrance into new media and all that. And so they had other influencers that they were like, great, we want that same guy to do the AT&T comedy football. And and so um, I didn't really understand, but I was essentially exclusive with this production company. I was like an exclusive commercial director, even though they didn't have a roster, we were under a collective umbrella. And so over the years, people would basically reach out to me and say, Hey, can you come direct for my company? Or would you direct for this, you know, agency or whatever? Mm -hmm. And I would kind of defer to my executive producer as to say, Hey, do you want to like take the lead and negotiate this or whatever? And so some of the times, you know, if it was a bigger company, they may reach out to the executive producer and I would be on a loan outright and they might give a fee so I could go do it. Or 
other times it would just kind of like magically disappear. And I was like, Oh, like what happened there? And so, um, when I went freelance, I was able to go to those people and say, Hey, look, you solicited me for work before. Mm -hmm. And I was in this exclusive agreement that wasn't beneficial to both parties, but now I'm single and ready to mingle. Like, let's see what we could do. And then on the like complete cold outreach, um, yeah, into the pandemic, you know, again, like we didn't have, I didn't have a lot of money coming in at the time. Uh, I did have some of those royalties from um, the movie Oliver Stoned, but I took a little bit of cash and I shot some uh, spec commercials. Mm -hmm. And so that became my way in was to say, hey, you know, just to be on your radar, here's a couple new things I've shot. I'm freelancing around. If you have anything coming through, mm -hmm. you know, I've been doing stuff with smaller, nimble productions. And so, um, so you, yeah, re 20... you reframed it. Oh, so that's interesting. That's two things, right? So it's not just yeah. like, you're not just like, Hey, do you guys have anything? You're like, Hey, right. here's something new, right? Because you self-generated, but then also yep. the, the thing of, um, smaller, nimble productions. that's a value right. proposition, right? You're yeah. saying, Hey, think of me for this type of job and right. look at what I can do with it. Right. And there's plenty yep. of people out there who have, you know, budgets that, are smaller than you would like maybe, but like, you know, if the work is good and if you can make something cool at $50,000, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever the, whatever the number is, and it's all relative. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like it could be $5,000. It could be a hundred dollars. Who cares? Right? Like if you can pull something off, that's cool. And you're making your living, it doesn't really matter. And I right. think sometimes, you know, sometimes positioning yourself in a positive light with that, sort of mentality i think um can be really smart yeah and so that that was exactly what kicked it off for me in 2021 just doing the whole you know sharing the new work that i had and then um getting a couple nibbles and like you said it's like you know one company may have booked me on something and then all of a sudden that's going to become a new thing and some of them had either yeah you know maybe higher production value some, than some of my previous work or, or whatever it may have been um and so I was able to just, you know, generate some new stuff and, you know, things happen. Like, I think the thing when I was starting my career, everything had to be so immediate of like the present. And the thing you realize is that everybody you're meeting is like kind of growing along the way. And so, you know, there was an executive producer who used to be with the company Media Monks and would get me hired on the Media Monks jobs every now and again. And so we started talking and he's like, I want to get you back in with the monks and have you do some work now that you're freelance. Um, and he got me on one thing, but then very quickly went to another production company. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden that became a new door that was open sure. because that new production company had new clients, new field of work. And so that was one of those, that was one of the better jobs. You know, I think there's a stigma of being freelance of there's like a budget threshold. Like if the budgets get big, why not go to one of the like very well-known houses and big roster directors? Um, and I was like, you know, I'd always, I would battle that too of like, oh, should I jump back on a roster or should I be trying? But I think at the time of 2020 and 2021, when like one, not a lot of people were working, you were seeing these massive TV directors and film mm -hmm. directors taking half a million dollar, $400,000 commercials. Which um, we're still kind of living in, frankly right like yeah oh well yeah and, i mean strike, that's right yeah, yeah yeah and so yeah i mean to get in get into this year you know like 2021 and 2022 i managed to build some momentum but that was one of the first ones that uh oren and i joke about but 
at the end of 2021, a good, you know, an executive producer that I had known ended up at this new production company. And he's like, Hey, yeah, do you want to do some comedy car stuff? You know, I got the Chevy job. It's like 250. And I was like, yeah, he's like one day shoot. And I was like, cool. I got to make a treatment. Who are the companies? He's like, no, no, no. It's yours if you want it. Yeah. 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 And I was if, like, what? If yours, so, it's yours, if you want it. Oh man. Yeah. Tattoo so, it across uh, my chest, across my forehead. I'll take it. Whatever. But what's crazy is Matt, you and I, that's that, all the jobs we got used to be like that. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Like all the college humor, funnier die days. It's like, oh yeah, you can direct. Let's do it. You know? Yeah, I know. And so, uh, and, and it's weird too, because I feel, you know, it's, I'm sure you guys feel the same way of like, you can look at your body of work and absolutely hate it and be like, I suck at this job. Like I have nothing that is of value to anyone. Um, and you know, I've had so many times where people look at my stuff and like, you're a comedy director and there's nothing funny in here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and especially with my movies, you know, I've had, a, I've, you know, put out so many, well, not so many movies, but my three features and several shorts and things where people are like, that was supposed to be funny. And I'm like, it is funny. Right. <laughs> uh, and people think not. And so every now and again, somebody stumbles across my website and they're like, I can see the quirkiness. I can see the personality and I can see, I can see a through line and then I'll just get hired. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's became, that's become like a big battle too of, you know, do you put five things on your website and hope that that leaves enough mystique that someone wants to dig deeper? And I've, I've had like a lot of jobs over the last three years pop up where people are like, oh, wow, he's got a lot of work. Let's just book him. Mm. Let's just do it. Cause if these people trusted him, we can trust him. And the bigger the brands on my website get, the easier it is for bigger brands to then trust me. Um, but yeah, this year, uh, was certainly, it was certainly pretty, pretty slow going. You know, I had a couple of the things from 2022 finish that I was really excited about and wanted to get them out in front of people. Um, and so when 2022 began, um, it was crickets, you know, and I was back to it. Yeah. 2023. Yep. When 2023 began, it was back to crickets of like, you know, I sat down with my wife and we had a, had just had our, our third kid. We had twins and then it was about a year and a half later and surprise, we're having a baby. And so, um, I was like, I got to, do I drive Uber? Like what transferable skills do I have? I can't get directing work anywhere. There was a writer's strike looming. Um, Isn't it just so crazy, listeners, to hear like, oh, I made, you know, four features. One of them, you know. Sure. Tried, was huge Getting offered success. spots left and right, like a nice network of people who are willing to hire you and introduce you to other people. And, and then, then rejected from Pizza Hut, COVID CCO yeah. officer. Yeah. And then getting big commercials. And then do I have to drive Uber? Sure. That is yeah. basically like the life of a director in America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there I was. And again, it was like, man, what am I going to do? And how do you how do you maintain it? And so um, and I was doing the same thing. I was like, OK, well, I have the tech. I, I can start sending emails and I can send 20 a day or 100 a week or whatever. And, and this um, is this year we're talking about. This was this year. This is the question Matt asked you 22 minutes ago. Yeah. This, this is the first question. How did I get on this hot streak? Yeah, this yeah. is the, the answer. Is coming. This is the answer, which is, yeah, hey, listen, we, context is important. But, but you got also, the backstory. To yeah. remind people, though, <clears throat> to Oren's point, it's like highs and lows. But we're talking only about 11 months ago, you right. implement this new plan. Right? Yeah, well, this yeah. is like six months ago, right? So basically from... Um, 
from the beginning of the year in January until July, I couldn't get anything. Gotcha. I would, I would, gotcha. I pitched a few things and like, yeah, I lost them. And then, you know, I was being scrappy. Uh, I started the year by building the world's largest pizza for Pizza Hut. Ooh, congratulations. Uh, How'd it taste? That, With Mr. Uh, Beast, right? Uh, no, another very similar YouTuber. Uh, gosh, I'm, I, I should know his name, right? Um, gosh. For you. Yeah. Are you sure uh, it's not Mr. Beast? I saw no, Mr. Beast. No, he did like a pizza slice or something. Oh, he did a slice. Okay. It's oh, embarrassing gosh. that we know that. That's Eric. Eric. Yeah, yeah. I should know Eric. Eric, he was there. Eric was there and they were filming the whole time. And 14,000 uh, square foot pizza. Yeah, we were on our hands and knees hand rolling this dough and we came in to save the day and build this pizza. But that's where my year started, you know, four, 14 or 17 hours on my knees with no knee pads on a concrete <laughs> air conditioned floor, pressing dough into the ground thinking, what am I doing? How am I going to? Sure. Right, the floor is air conditioned to keep it cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, it was it was so it was a very complicated process. But yeah, they had to build these 14 foot walls and air condition the floor to yeah, have the safety guy. Yeah, you can't let right but then you had to heat it and so it was very counterproductive as the dough's being laid out it has to be chilled but then when the the zamboni heater comes through it had to heat it oh interesting i i was curious about how they cooked it a zamboni heater basically like yeah. a heat gun yeah. on top of the pizza yeah it was like if you've been to home depot and you've got the flat cart uh-huh mm-hmm. and then you took maybe 12 heat lamps and drilled those into two by fours and then ratchet strapped that to the heat cart. That does not sound safe. That's, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's not going to work. There were things levels. about that day that, uh, you know, at some points food safety is like, you can walk on the pizza and seal the edges <laughs> instead of doing it with your knuckles. And we're like walking on the pizza and then food safety is like, feet? yeah, with your feet. Yes. Or with shoes. Oh no, with shoes. Yeah. Yeah. You were walking with <laughs> shoes and, Part of this whole spectacle for Eric was that, you know, he sold VIP tickets to his millions of subscribers. So you'd have these 12 year old, 15 year old kids that would show up just to get a selfie of them walking on the pizza. Sure, sure. Anyway, that's worthwhile, actually. I, I get Wait, that. But Imagine you're going to say, yeah, he sold slices of this pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they did throw the world's largest pizza party, which they did not get the world record for. And then after the pizza was made, I didn't stay for the distribution, but all the pizza has to be distributed. So. Uh, it had to get sliced up and put in boxes mm-hmm. and put on semis and distributed. And I can't speak to if anyone ate it or not. Uh, <laughs> no, one they, ate they it. Attempted, no one ate it. They attempted okay. to get it out there. You, but that's you, where the year... you wasted the world's largest pizza, Tom. That's on your conscience. <laughs> yeah. And so that's where that's where the year started for me of like, what do I do? And so, um, you know, again, I was like, how do I how do I get some stuff going? And Basically, I was able to look at some spots of mine from previous years that were extremely popular that I did not like. Mm. And uh, give us a for instance. uh, So one of the spots, you know, one of the things I was always very well known for when I was on the first collective was a company called Whitelist. Uh, I was like the jump on a grenade guy. And so if a project was coming in fast that had no money and uh-huh. needed to shoot in like three days. Tom's like, a level head. He'll, t- he'll get it done. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So I did a Campbell Soup commercial in Dallas with Dak Prescott that was like, book it on a Tuesday, shoot it on a Thursday mm-hmm. uh, type of job. And, you know, we go down to Dallas to shoot this big commercial. It's supposed to be day exterior. Dak's running drills on the field. He's like doing stuff, throwing passes, eating soup. It was very fun. They played a game the night before. Dak's a very physical quarterback. He gets a little beat up. They win. He shows up at the outdoor commercial shoot. And he's like, yeah, I'm not doing this. 
It's 100 degrees in September in Dallas. I'm not filming a commercial outside. And so we're like, uh, let's let's move inside. And so you move inside. We don't really have lights to be inside. We had all day exterior stuff. And he's like, I don't want to run drills. And you're like, Dak doesn't want to run drills. Let's, you know, we now have 40 minutes to shoot a commercial. And so you do it and it goes fine. And the agency cut was extremely rough, but they ran it everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, every football game, this commercial's on three times. And I'm like so embarrassed because I'm like, it's so bad. And I really, you know, I kicked myself because that was like 2017 or 18. And, you know, they spent money and I got to, you know, I got paid for it. But like, at some point, the money doesn't matter as much if it's if it sucks, if like it could have been better. And so, yeah, at the start of this year, I was like thinking about that footage and I was like, I have it. Why don't I reopen it? And, um, you know, I recut the thing and found some music to go to it. And I made it uh, from a 30 down to a 15. And mm-hmm. only kept like the best stuff, I guess. And it got 10% better. I don't think it got 100% better or anything like that. But all of a sudden, it became a new thing that people mm-hmm. that I was reaching out to hadn't seen. And so I had that to start sending around. Um, the one commercial I did at the end of last year, the Chevy job with George Lopez, um, they had put their cut out. And again, I was like, I know the DIT. I bet that footage is sitting on his raid. Mm-hmm. Let me drive down there and get it and recut this thing. And like, mm-hmm. even though I'm not making money, let me pay for sound and color and make it 10% better than the agency cut. And so now I had two things with celebrities in them that were new all of a sudden. And so um, that was something I started kind of kicking out in the spring, those two spots. Um, and then, yeah, it was like the 4th of July and I'm like, I'm not going to be doing anything. And all of a sudden, all the six months before of sending emails and you know when people decided to start spending money again it was just like you know yeah i jumped on a job in atlanta well it first started with a mutual friend i think of all of us at sawhorse um they came to me at the end of last year and invited me to like write some scripts to pitch a client and we wrote these scripts and i was like we're probably never going to hear about that and then they popped up like the last week of june and they're like we want to do it and i was like wow okay and so that was my first one of the year that was just like, you know, uh, yeah, good, good job, good rate, uh, smooth shoot. It was very nice. I'm, Orin and I joke about it. I'm sure you guys have experiences. If you feel like right now, everybody wants to shoot 50 things. It's not just 130 or 115. It's like mm-hmm. the 30, the 15, the vertical, the horizontal, the circle, photo shoot, social media stuff on the phone, interview questions on the side. Um, but this client was like, no, we just want the 30. We yeah. just want you to shoot the oh. 30. We're going to build all the sets and just go do it. Beautiful. And so, um, yeah, that kind of kicked it off for me at the end of June. And then uh, 4th of July. I Historically, I never worked July, August. I don't know if you mm-hmm. guys have felt that people do like agency summers or slow down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always-, always has a theory. Anytime I complain about not having a job, Matt will be like, well, look at this time last year. Um, yeah and, and then, i'm right and it's it, i always say it's relevant. like fourth fourth of july and the beginning of the year basically like like january february because yeah but what about november december well we're all thanksgiving we're all working because they're trying to set, spend their budgets down basically they're all trying to hit their fiscal year right so they they have to spend that money so maybe you get something that like hits the books uh in december but they you technically shoot in january and they kind of get a little creative but that like January, February tend to be really slow because they're planning 
what they're going to be shooting for the rest of the year. And then they try to get it to finish right around summer vacation. And then they start over again. Yeah, there it is. There's the science. And so, um, (laughs) yeah, but so I was coming into the July and I was like, this is going to be brutal. Like I never work July. I never work August. Like I did the one job. I'm excited about it. I did all that heavy lifting with the, you know, recutting stuff and paying for sound and color. And then it just, yeah, I got, you know, I got asked, asked about this honey baked ham commercial. And again, it was a funny one because as the script was coming in, it was BBDO Atlanta. And I, early on after that, that Western music video, I did like a Friday night, Friday night light parody, you know, mm-hmm. slow motion guy running to the end zone. Oh my gosh, he's going to, you know, score the touchdown, but he actually pulls out his cell phone and sends a text. Um, and so they wanted to do something like that. They're like, oh my gosh, we want to like draw parallels to how Ham has always been involved with football by doing this like spoof spot. Tom has that. He's got the spoof spot. We should just book him. And of course, we start going down that road and then they're like, yeah, but that's not really food centric. And so, um, you know, they booked me on this thing and then the scripts are changing and, you know, halfway into it, I had to rewrite a treatment, but I ended up maintaining the job. But um, yeah, that job was going and I was like, okay, great. Here's a job for the end of July. That's awesome. And then uh, one of the other things I had been known for was like monochrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a job for Panera Bread early on that was just like, let's paint everything green. And slowly but surely, 2014 on, people were like, can you do red for State Farm? Can you do pink for MTV? Can you do yellow? And then I would just respond with, if uh, Home Depot's got the paint, we could do it. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and every year. And that's I met Tom. I t- met Tom on his yellow project. Yeah, Oren met me um, in my oh, yellow phase. I thought, I thought you were going to say you met him. Um, at Home Depot. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, we were both buying paint. Well, yeah. so that that became the thing. It's like every year without fail, I always get asked for one. And I'm like, well, you got to do it. You know, who cares? Like, you got to go shoot the thing. And so that was the same thing. Oren had helped me do some visual effects and some title work on a yellow monochrome at the end of 2022. Uh, and so uh, Temptations Cat Food was like, we need to do a yellow monochrome miniature set for cats. This guy's the color guy. And so it was all Wait, of a just, sudden. It- just the one, the one interesting thing I want to say about the yellow job, which I might have talked about on the podcast before, is I don't know what convinced you to do this or why you did this, but I think you were like, oh, I heard you were a director too. We should go grab lunch. Yeah. Which I love is, people. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but I feel like a lot of, like, I bet Matt's never done that. <laughs> Like, have you ever worked on a job um, and, a, and one of your crew members is a director and you're like, hey, let's go grab lunch and talk about directing? Uh, you know, not since I've had a podcast, but that's <laughs> because, you, you know, if you talk to a new director a week for seven years, eight years. Yeah, it's eight years. Stop. Stop. Is it eight years? At least. Yeah. 2015. Okay. Eight years. Uh, then maybe the appetite isn't there quite the same way but you know so yeah. no so no yeah well and i mean i hey i did it i mean Oren, we we did meet that way but i do it with you know camera assistants and all different people and you know love meeting crew and talking about it you know it's like Oren always says like you know he's obsessed with it and we shared that 
struggle on a job that we were both kind of pitching at the same time. And we're like, Oh my gosh, like it's so taxing, but it's like, you're obsessed. You know, it's like, I don't want another email at two in the morning, but then you're like, but I kind of want to respond right now. Cause I'm, or we would be texting each other at 6am. I'm like, what are you doing awake? Why are you up? But, um, yeah, so we had met on this yellow job. And so it just happened. It, it, it's without fail every year. Somebody hits me up to be like, you could do another colored set thing. And I'm like, sure. And so I'm on my way to Atlanta to do the ham. And then this temptations job with Amazon was like, can you do yellow sets in New York next week? And you're like, yes, I can. And so it just, it just started all the emails, all the like due diligence and all the digging and door knocking that had started the year that was seeming to turn up nothing mm. once the first type of the iceberg hits. And so, yeah, it just became this like, you know, okay, we're going to Atlanta, then we're jumping up to New York. But then that one thing I booked to shoot in LA still wants to go. So let's put it in the middle. And I have the thing that's going to shoot in Chicago for a month, two jobs back to back in September. But then a thing popped up for, you know, uh, New York City. And part of it's just like, hey, this thing's moving fast. Do you want to be on it? And it's like, ah, I don't have time to write a treatment. And they're like, well, we'll just book you. And you're like, okay, well then, yeah, if, you know, if sure. the money's green and uh, you can make it, it work. Yeah. The job is mine. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And so um, I've, I've definitely been in the mentality of like every job I've been on, I'm like, this is for sure the last one. And so I was doing these two jobs in Chicago recently and we had finished the first one and I was like doing a little bit of rap because that was a, that was a job that I, uh, uh, I also helped produce. I produced it. And so I was doing a little bit of the rap out and the paperwork while the prep for the second one was beginning. And again, a good, a friend of mine who's been very good to me reached out and said, Hey, I got this job in Santa Barbara. It shoots in like two weeks and um, it's yours if you want it. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then she asked me, she's like, great. Can you come tech scout tomorrow? And I was like, well, shoot, I'm in Chicago prepping. I got to shoot tomorrow. <laughs> and so uh, we were able to push to shoot one day. I put my kids to bed in Chicago, flew to LAX, drove up to Santa Barbara, did the tech scout <laughs> oh. for two hours. Drove back to the airport, flew to Chicago. And not then, LA um, natives. That's like a two and a half hour, three hour drive probably from LAX to Santa Barbara. Yeah. yeah. Did you even need yeah. to be at that tech scout? Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I now I could talk about it, but uh, yeah, it was like a, it was like a secret Google event and, you know, the secret service would be there because the guests were like Oprah and George Bush and there was sure. a lot of security. So when you say Santa Barbara, you mean Montecito? Yes, I mean the very nice, yeah. expensive neighborhood south. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so, but so that job, I was like, great. Yeah, it's a cool one. Like, happy to do it. This will be the last one of the year, probably, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, and then somewhere in flying after Chicago really wrapped, uh, flying back to get ready to go do that job is when this thing I just did popped up and they're like, hey, we got these rough concepts and we need somebody who can like shape them a little bit and direct it and then help with posts. And I was like, I got to write treatment. And they're like, no, no, no. Like we saw your work. Like it's yours if you want it. And I'm like, let's, let's do it. And that project actually had Tiffany Haddish attached and Oren knows how excited I was. Uh, I was like, and, this is going to make you real. If you have a spot with Tiffany Haddish. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a different, yeah. it changes your real, I think. Yeah. It was like my comedy centerpiece. So then there, there I was like, oh my gosh, look at this 2024. Wow. This would be a great one to have. Uh, two days before the shoot, Tiffany uh, dropped out. Maybe she was never involved. I don't, that was beyond me. Uh, and so then I got, I got pretty excited about the backup. We had done a normal callback session and everything. And 
this young woman, Lola, she, she wasn't Tiffany Haddish, but she had energy and sass and was funny. And I was like, you know what? She's going to do a great job. It's not going to be the star spot, but it'll, it can make the reel if it's funny. And then uh, like a day and a half before I was with Oren and they're like, we've got hip hop sensation Sway Lee. And I was like, well, this is a different commercial all of a sudden. You said, He's well, no- of course. <laughs> I mean, I was, yeah, I was still doing it. I was like, well, yeah, you got to, you know, you got to get through the shoot and make it happen. And um, he was very pleasant. He was great to work with. We had to lean into like, you know, a little bit more hip hop music video style and which is fine. I kind of had it a lot more like deadpan lock off quirky comedy with Tiffany talking straight to the lens. But um, anyway, that spot is finished. But uh, it's this, there's this weird thing in commercial filmmaking where you're so excited about an element of the commercial. Like, oh, I'm going to shoot yeah. this spot with Tiffany Haddish. And then the producer will contact you and be like, hey, so Tiffany's not in anymore, but great news. Now we can have a little bit more money for this camera thing. And you're like, and a normal human being would be like, what? The only reason I'm doing this is for Tiffany. But then a commercial director will be like, oh, that's amazing. You know? Yeah. So excited. Like you just have to pretend to like every single thing. Right. Yeah, tell yeah. You. You're saying you can't complain in commercials. Yeah. What you're saying. Like I did this, I was doing, I did that with a conscious mind, this Panera spot and was going to be sag. And we were going to try to get like an Aubrey Plaza or Kamel Johnny something. And then someone somewhere at the company was like, Oh, what if we get like a contestant from the bachelor? Right. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> you're like, great. I love the bachelor. And no, I'm familiar I was like, with no, <laughs> don't do that. And then I get a call from our buddy, Matt, like the next day he's like, Oren, great news. I'm like, what's the great news? Do we have Aubrey Plaza. It's like, no, we don't have to go sag anymore. Cause we're using a contestant from the bachelor, which means you get two more extras. I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, great. Hard pitch. <laughs> great. Yeah. Great. Anyhow, well, the, yeah, and the guy I had was, was very nice. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, he's not a comedic actor. Yeah, you know, I know, and it, I think I lost that job to you. I think I at one point was asked about oh, Panera. <laughs> no, I, that's the fun of it. I mean, you never feel bad. I never feel bad losing a job if you find out the director who got it is has a great reel and is qualified and all the stuff. You know, sometimes you see reels and you're like, you're like, Wait, oh, how, but- yeah. How'd they connect the dots there? How'd they get it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I agree with you, Tom, and I've said that many times on the podcast. It's a lot easier to say when everyone's working. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And it's like... Oh, sure. When it's like dry for everyone. In 2024, we're all going to be saying that a bunch. You know? That's right. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's been very... Yeah, the world it, is really turning around. It's really looking crazy. <laughs> yeah, easy, man. yeah I'm just saying maybe the strike will be over. I would say for anyone at the moment of recording, the SAG strike is not looking hot. They it's not. Had, it's not like they that. had their final... The studios presented their best and final offer, and uh, I don't think SAG agreed to it. They so I don't know the insight to that, but Let's I'm see. hopeful... By the time this episode comes out, I feel it'll like be there's over. a 70% chance. Yeah. You think so? Oh, all right, good. So we're recording on a Monday. You think by November Thursday? Yeah. No, no. You think- uh, the IRA episode comes Oh, out. you're right. Okay, so we've got a, you're saying a week and a half, basically. We've got 10 days, yeah. Yeah, saying, yeah. 11 days. Well, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I've been doing this thing that's really bad. When I lose a job, uh, I look up the directors on Instagram, and then, you know, usually you don't post. You have to be, like, kind of cryptic about posting from set. Because you don't know what you're allowed to post or not. Right. right. So a lot of people just post stories. They're not going to post like Instagram posts. 
but they'll be like, look at this fun thing I'm doing with the camera assistant or yep. whatever. And so I, I like, I, I wouldn't say, I don't know if stalking is the right word, but I, uh, I sounds, follow. It sounds like pretty textbook. I stalking. follow the directors that I lose jobs to, to see if they're posting from set and secretly hope that it doesn't look very fun. Yeah, that that's that's definitely stocking. Yeah, no, no, yeah, it's always, it always looks fun for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a pretty big nerd about this stuff, and so if I see like a lens case, I'm like, yeah, that looks cool. <laughs> Just even a closed case it doesn't have to be open. Lenses. Yeah. Oh man, there's more than lenses. one in there. That's cool. I could see an insert slate and be like, dang, dude. Oh, they yeah, must be yeah. shooting some inserts today. This is cool. Ooh, probe lens. Yo, they got yeah. two types of slates on that set. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, so so what's crazy is you've done what, like twelve jobs this year or something? Uh with the yeah, with the one I'm currently on, which I guess at the time you're saying this will air, I could say that it's coming out. I'm on an Arby's commercial right now, and um it's four it's number fourteen. Um it's number fourteen. And, and like thirteen of them were like win the last six uh, months. July yeah. second half of the year. Yeah. 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 And uh it's interesting because a majority of them have not been LA. I think there's been three of them that have been LA and then the bulk of them have been like Atlanta, New York, New York, um, Chicago, Chicago. And so, and Santa Barbara, I guess is a different and, city. And we, we brought it up a little bit, but I do want to dig in just a touch. You've got, like I said, a young family. Yeah. Three kids. What are their ages? My twin daughters are uh, two and a half. And then my son is about to be one year old. He's yeah. 11 months. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're taking them with the, with you to Atlanta and Chicago and all of these things, and your wife. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> I do like the idea of it's just you and two toddlers and and a baby. <laughs> you're just like rolling up. First of all, awesome, very cool. Kind of what I had always thought I would do with kids, and um, I have not traveled with her once. It's not easy. I don't. I don't, yeah. I still Talk. don't really. They don't, don't quite get it. <laughs> <laughs> Oren's like, no, this is your only chance to sleep. What are you doing? But so, right. so walk us through it a little bit on a, uh, first on a, like, why, why, why does it, why do you do that? And then also what are the things that are maybe a little easier than you thought? And then maybe a little harder than you thought? Yeah. Well, so I think it's funny. Cause I think when it initially started the first travel job with the kids, the kids first showed up on set, actually, I, I magically decided to start shooting a short film the Friday that the pandemic was officially announced. And so in 2020, I was like, I got to shoot this short film. Now's my moment. I don't know why. And so while I was prepping the movie up in Central California, uh, you know, the president went on the air and is like, national emergency, COVID's here. And so that job essentially, I, you know, it was like, let's take a vote. If everyone feels unsafe, we're going home. We'll just pick this up in two months when COVID's over. Sure. How naive. Uh, and so... Finally, by the time my kids were born, about a you know a, a year and a half later after that date, had done some commercials and money was coming in, and so the girls maybe were like three or four months, and we were finishing that short film, and they came out and like they just had a blast. They had such a good time. <laughs> the three month olds were having an amazing time. They, they could yeah, see like, maybe ten inches in front of their face. <laughs> yes, exactly. They had no idea what was going on, but they had such a such a blast. And so um, I was like, oh, well, that was cool. Yeah, so they worked on the short film. They probably had no idea what was going on, but like they, they were seemingly having a blast. Wait, are and they so, in the short film? No, and they're not no, in they, it at all. They're just they behind just, the scenes. Yeah. yeah, and it was actually it was a it was a short film that took place in like a it was like a screamo band music movie that nobody cared to watch. 
And so uh, we were shooting in like a I bar. Watched it, I think you did watch it. Yeah, you said rocking good time, uh, which I appreciated. <laughs> I like that about you, Tom. If if Oren said a rocking good time to me, I wouldn't be so gracious. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dang, dude, that's There's cool. No way I said a rocking good time. <laughs> if you go to Vimeo.com/slash Tom Morris and click on Wild Man, you can see the first and only comment from Oren. It might say that. It might not. But they came on the movie, had a great time, and so then. I did a couple other like LA jobs and they would always visit during lunch and like stay a little bit into the second half and, you know, had an interest in it. And then you'd come home and they'd be like picking up my camera off the desk and dropping it on the ground. And, you know, again, they're like six, seven months, like just knocking stuff over, but playing with the cameras and being very curious. And so um, one of the first jobs that year that popped up was actually uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so I was like, I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. It's 45 minutes away. My parents hadn't yet really got to spend time with the kids. None of my extended family met them. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, we're going to do this job in Pittsburgh. And they're going to give me a travel budget. I don't need to book a first class seat or whatever. You know, if I got if I got like 1200 bucks for travel. Oh, that's the thing, too, is kids are free until two. Mm-hmm. And so um, with that first job, they gave me a travel budget. And I'm like, oh. I could just use this amount to buy my ticket and my wife's ticket and sit in the back of the plane and then the kids are free and then they'll get to spend time with grandma and grandpa and, you know, meet the in-laws and all the other people. And so it was very natural to be like, they're going on that one. Um, and so they went on that one and then, you know, had a great time, all this stuff. And then I believe the next one that was a travel job was in Nashville, Tennessee. And so my wife's best friend lives not far from there. And again, pandemic had been going on. They hadn't met our baby. We spent very little time with their kid. And so we're like, I mean, if they're going to give me a big hotel room in a minivan, like why not take the kids there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there it was two months later, we're in Nashville. I mean, and the kids are gone. I think the difference is like Matt and my wife's wives would not be like, yeah, we're going to, just stop whatever our life is for your schedule and take the kids and pack everything and do this and go. Sure. Like, right. I, yeah. I mean, unless, but if it, if I was shooting in Cleveland, my wife would absolutely come, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, that I, was the I, thing. Oh, I was going to say just to, to hit that real quick was um, the job I did in Pittsburgh, Oren's wife, your wife was, she booked a job in Pittsburgh as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, my, my kid has to be entertained. And I was like, dude, I okay, just wrapped. I, I can New York. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I could drive back down to Pittsburgh. And then uh, we were actually driving to Chicago. But anyway, Matt, you were about to ask. Well, I, I think like, you know, the, it, your story makes a ton of sense to me because I think my wife probably would and your wife would go see their parents with a free plane ticket and a free hotel yep. room for sure. And that kind of like eases you into what's smart and easy about this, right? Because I think selfishly the reason i asked the question is like i used to travel with my wife all the time right on these jobs right you get a free hotel room you downgrade your ticket it's no big deal um and have been matt took his wife to russia i did take my wife to russia and it was awesome it was so fun there you go and she did uproot her uh her life for it um but you know like that's that's one of the perks fuzzy hats she did buy a big jacket like a big long jacket. Anyway, but like that's a perk of being a director is that you get to see the world. Flash forward to me last month saying to my wife, "Hey, come to Toronto with me." And she's like, "No." Yeah, yeah, sure. 
It's it, too complicated. It's different. Also, I think when your kids are a little bit older, they're a little more grounded. They're missing things. They're missing their friends, all of that stuff. Yeah, um, and so I think that I think that that's the thing that really hit for us because the first couple were convenience. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's easy. Mm-hmm. And like it's extended family time. And, you know, I'm able to stay in Youngstown and drive down there and any of the hotel money, I could just, you know, give them per diem to go to the zoo and do fun stuff. And But like this year, I think it kicked off when... You know, when we were set to go to Atlanta, that was going to be a two-day shoot plus some casting, and that was going to be a nine or eight-day trip straight into the New York job being directly after. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to be gone for three weeks. It's over my wife's birthday. I'm, I have the space. I also travel with my DP, you know, and so a lot of times I just negotiate like, hey, I'm bringing my DP. Give us an Airbnb. And so, you know, in Atlanta, we had a, I mean, it's Atlanta, it's very sprawling and there's big houses. It's not as difficult as New York became the next week, but you know, we had a massive house in Atlanta and I was like, oh, this is perfect. It's so easy to bring the kids. And then it's like, oh, we're just going to jump up to New York. And like, at this point it had been the kid's second time. And you know, again, like, uh, the, the girls became obsessed with the Statue of Liberty somehow. Mm-hmm. And knowing that dad was going to New York where the statue resides, like, how could I not take them? And and so, uh, yeah, they had to go. And that became, you know, the first day we were in New York after all three hours of flying and carrying all these 15 bags that we tra- take with us. Uh, we had to get on the Staten Island Ferry and take a trip past the Statue of Liberty. And so, and so I, uh, I can see how great it would be, you know, meet when, when you're in prep, but it's a little soft. And I can see how great it would be after you've wrapped. Maybe you stay an extra day or two, hang out. But while you're in it, right, while it's like, sorry, honey, I have client drinks or I have to, you have to just hang out. There's a lot of hanging out with the crew and with the agency and all of that stuff. So you're not, I assume you're not seeing your family for like a few of the the shoot day, you know, the PPM. There's like a good three or four days in there where you're just like not in your hotel room at all. And your wife is just kind of like in a new city with your kids yeah is that hard a and then b talk about a leading question and then b like is it restful for you which is i think i was teasing Warren about like oh this is our only chance to get any sleep (laughs) but it's kind of real right well yeah but also i feel like i'm so busy on like my last like four or five travel jobs i didn't even see the city i went to because i was just yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, you're lucky if you get like an afternoon after PPM, but before the shoot, if things go right. really smoothly, that was always my like sightseeing afternoon. Yeah, well, so they, I mean, they end up coming to set, whether I, I you know, if it's a production company I worked with, they're kind of like, oh, I get it. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy mm-hmm. when it's in LA, um, mm-hmm. like our friends at Sawhorse, I've done three or four jobs with them since I've had kids and we tend to shoot at like similar sound stages. And so it's like, oh, kids are usually showing up at lunch. They're going to hang out for an hour or so after lunch. You know, they're quiet. They hang by the dolly. You know, it's like, again, I use a lot of the same crew, too. So if if I'm shooting locally, it's, if I have my way, it's the same 15, 30, you know, same 15, like, key people that, like, know the kids and get excited. And sure, they're checking in with the sound guy. They're checking in with first AC. Like, they're, it's, you know, it's like, oh, you know, they call my DP, Uncle Brooks. Like, we've traveled with him for five months this year, I guess. But, um. But yeah, it's, it's funny too, because like even, you know, when I was doing the one job in Atlanta, you know, I'm in Atlanta on Eastern time zone. I was prepping a job with a production company in Israel 
uh, I had another job that was going back in LA. And so the baby would wake up at 3 a.m. And that's right when the EP in Israel would touch in. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I wasn't sleeping anyhow. You know, the DP I, I work with is like, I don't know how you're doing this. But I think we're both in that mode because we went back to back with these babies that um, we don't sleep anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but that was to, to your point. I, when I was in Chicago and we were on the two jobs back to back and I flew to um, Santa Barbara, that was my first solo flight in like three years or two and a half years. That was the first flight by myself. And I was like, I'm putting myself in the front row of the plane. I'm not taking a back because that's the hardest part. That's what I was telling Oren a little bit on the last job we were uh, helping out with each other. But, you know, it's like 15 bags. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a couple check mm-hmm. bags and it's three cribs and it's four pieces of a stroller set. And then it's, they all have their own personal. So you've got like three like pack and plays basically like three. When you say yeah. three cribs, you mean like three th- pack and plays. Yeah. So for they, people who don't have kids, a pack and play is like a, like a collapsible crib. That's about, it's like a, it's about as tall as an umbrella, but like maybe it's seven like inches speaker. by seven inches. It's like a what? It's like oh, if you. Like a tall speaker. Yeah. You know, or like, like almost speaker. like a pop-up tent, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. Three of those, three car seats. Uh, the stroller breaks down into four pieces. And then you got, you know, check bag, carry on bag. They all get a personal item diaper bag. And then, um, and then I have my, like, you know, my bag with my laptop and I take a sure. camera. And, and so, yeah, it's a lot of stuff. And so that's the moment, you know, my wife is amazing at it. She packs everything down to a science. She has the snack. She has new things in their backpack that when they get on the plane, they find it and they're like, oh my gosh, wow. And, and so she does so much of the heavy lifting of like figuring that all out and getting everything set up. And then, there's just that moment where you're walking down the jet bridge, you got the kids and they're excited to be getting on the plane. I mean, they've done 30 some flights in two years. Like they've done a lot of travel. And so they get very fired up to like scan their ticket. Mm -hmm. But once they've scanned their ticket, they're like, they want to be lifted. But I usually have three bags in my hand at that time. And my wife's got like six other ones. That's the moment when I'm like, this might not be worth it. (laughs) But then, but then you get there and you know, they visit set or they see some new landmark or whatever the thing is. Or like, you know, when we were in Atlanta and I did have this PPM that just went, it just, it was supposed to be an hour and a half PPM and it turned into a five hour PPM and it kept going and going and, and they were at the zoo. And so I got home and they were already asleep. And so the next day I'm waking up for the shoot and um, didn't get to see them. And that was, a, that was actually far outside the city. And so then it was the third day where we had like a 10 a.m. start and they woke up and they were like speaking sentences. And I was like, wait a minute, two days ago, you didn't speak mm. in sentences. Mm. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was just like a crazy thing is like they could just fully talk. And so they came to that day. We were shooting outside in the middle of a college campus and we were doing a big tailgate thing and lots of extras. And it was MOS. And the client was all like 200 yards away in an air conditioned gymnasium. And so it was really easy to have them hang out all day. And it was just like, wow, like to be with them and shooting this thing as they were able to like ask questions and speak in sentences. I was like, this is crazy. If I had just missed all this, like I would have been, you know, if I would have done that job straight into New York and been gone for three weeks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it would have been really weird. So to like be there in real time, you're just like, man, you know, and then for them to then, you know, whatever knowledge they're gaining and learnings uh, to like be able to ask questions to like the DP who's a friend of theirs now 
it's like, this is crazy. Like, they're not just talking to dad and mom. They're like talking to Uncle Brooks here. Like, they're talking to him. And so, um, yeah. And it's funny, too, because like some producers just expect it. Like the, the thing I had been awarded for Google before they even before the line producer even got to tell me the job was awarded. The EP calls me and was like, hey, the, I'm booking suites right now. How much space do your kids need? And I was like, wait, what? The job's happening? She's like, oh, yeah, it's happening. And I want to make sure that they have room for all their stuff. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, now they got to go, you know, like yeah. they can't yeah. sit this one out if, if everyone's expecting them to, to make it. And so uh, I guess it's part of the brand at times. I'm not sure. I will say I worked with Tom recently, like a week ago. Yeah, about a week ago. And uh, I enjoyed there was a producer that was very communicative. I'd say we probably got texts or calls like 30 times a day. <laughs> yeah. At least. And I, what I liked about being on the job with you is that you were like, oh, putting the kids to sleep, feeding the kids, doing the kid Like, and I feel like for me, I, you know, if it's like a friend of mine, I'll like kind of mention the kids, but I try to, it, it, it kind of depends. If I'm working with people that don't have kids, I feel like I try to not talk about my kids too much just because I don't want them to think. Well, saying putting the kids to bed means uh, give me thirty minutes, give me an yeah, hour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not like, oh, hold on, good night, honey, and then you're yep. into it, you know? Right, but also yeah. sometimes you work with young people that don't have kids, and right, so who wouldn't understand that? Is my point, you know? Yeah, and they're like just expecting you to be working all the time too, you know? But it was kind of refreshing for Tom to be saying that because then I could be doing the same thing. I'm like, yeah, picking up kids from school dropping you know like doing that making dinner um yeah and i mean to me you know and that's the thing it's it's something that i always got to work on and you know that's the thing about the job is like when it's happening it's the most fun job in the world and it's easy to get wrapped up in like you know oh i can i can recut the animatics and i can do the storyboard thing a little mm-hmm. differently and like if you're working on a treatment you can always find that one more reference or image or whatever and especially if i'm editing something too if i've been invited to like help out on post like there's always the additional way to try it or like, Oh, I could revisit the takes and it could be very all consuming. And so that's a good reminder of like, yeah, like, you know, around five o'clock, I try to take that hour to like put everything down and like boot the kids a bit and, you know, dinner time or like putting them down for bed at the end of the night. Cause it gives me, you know, it gives me a chance to reset and gives my wife a break too. Cause she's usually, you know, she's been with them the whole time. Again, like there's, there's the one producer I worked with, he he always knew. He's like, I hope you're feeding the baby right now because I got questions. And I'm like, I was going to go back to bed. And then you're just <laughs> up at 3 a.m. But uh, yeah. yeah. I but can't, I, if I, I see an email, it doesn't matter what time of day it is, that's like a question about a project. I'm like, you have to. Yeah. I kind of just, I want to just get it out of the way yeah, and get answer it. it. Yeah. yeah. I just have, I know I have to wrap up soon. I just had two things I wanted to come back to real quick. Number one is you said that I left a comment on your short. That was a rockin' good time, which does not at all sound like anything I would ever say. And I checked the comment and I did not say that. What'd you say? I said it rocked my heart. I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. like a rockin' good mm-hmm. time. That's the same no. sentiment. A, a, a rockin' good time sounds more sarcastic than it rocked my heart. Though, huh. you know, could be more sincere, but I don't know. Or an- I think rocked my heart. I mean, I met Tom like seven minutes before this. <laughs> there were no comments on his short film, and I was trying to just get one in there ASAP, and it did rock my heart. You made a movie. 
<laughs> yeah, I can say that I've sucked at short films. I mean, I think the short films are fine, but you know, I like with I our like f- your short film. What are you talking about? It, like, I did. My comment is sincere. It's not sarcastic. No, I'm not. No, not your. You're not your comment. But um, you know, with our movies, we've made features and stuff, and yeah, they've all played festivals and had you know decent releases and all the things. And for whatever reason, short films. You know, every now and again, I'm like, I need to make a new. You know, instead of making another movie, I'm like, ah, I'll make a short film and try to get on short of the week or try to get you know some views on uh, Vimeo or whatever it is. And I've never, and all of my shorts never get into festivals, you know, even the festivals that we've played our features and they've done really well. I'm like, let me take the short film there. And I'm not talking about like, oh, we had a world premiere at South by for tragedy girls. Let me see if they'll take my movie. I'm like, Hey, the Cleveland international film festival mm-hmm. where we sold out our movie six days in a row. Maybe that they'll take my short. Festival. That is a great fantastic. Festival. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, Wild Man sh- does feel like a very Cleveland friendly short film. Oh, it's Ohio inspired. Yeah, it's is, you know, it's based on it's me and my brother's lives smashed together because I was in a band feeling the emotions and he is wild man. And so anyway, yeah, yeah I've always I've always failed at short films uh, get in scene anywhere. But they always you know, what's funny is that they've always kind of come back in a weird way and like pay themselves off um, commercially. How so? How, oh, oh, interesting. Yeah, so I did this short film uh, that was called HPHR, and it was about a set of twins that are like, you know, having a sibling rivalry over a date. And uh, the two brothers are good friends of mine, and, you know, I always poke fun of them of their handsome, handsome good looks. And uh, I was like, we should do this poolside, you know, brother bromance movie of you guys trying to, like, compete for this girl, and they end up getting in a fight. And, uh, you know, it's hunky dudes in bathing suits fighting by a pool. And uh, a friend that used to be a creative director who was doing a bunch of H&M stuff saw it and was like, oh my gosh, I want this energy and this, mm-hmm. these dudes in this H&M summer thing. And so I got booked on this H&M job. I think I did like three H&M things because of the short film. None That's of them wild. had hunky men in bathing suits, sure. but that got me in the door. By the time they booked me, it was like back to school. And so uh, I did this like weird kids back to school thing, but they're like, but we love your short film. And so, um, yeah, you never know. You never know what someone's going to see and say, that's the thing. Uh, My other question is, and kind of what I was telling Matt about that I feel like you just kind of skated over in your dissection of, of your career, commercial career, was you did do this thing where you went to, in Chicago, I don't know if you're cool. Oh, yeah. Where you went to Chicago and you were just like, hey, I'm in town. Would you meet with yeah. me? And you just met with agencies and a lot of those meetings that you literally just like knocked on the doors, like very intentionally, not like you knew them socially and you just like said, hey, by the way, I direct commercials. You were like, hey, I'm here. Let's meet. And a oh. lot of your jobs kind of came from those meetings. Can you tell us like how to do that? How can we? copy like following your footsteps be dumb uh no um yeah i mean that yeah again that was like you know it's uh i have a friend who's a professional bmx athlete he actually went to the olympics but he's very disciplined and very you know he has very a rigid routine of like every day i'm gonna get up at this time and do this workout and i eat these foods and Mm -hmm. i'm at the skate park doing these tricks and And I always try to think like, oh, how do you apply that to filmmaking? Like what, you know, it's very expensive to be like, I want to shoot a big crowd scene. I don't have enough, you know, I don't have enough Steadicam stuff in my work. Like I need to go and shoot Steadicam scenes. 
very hard to do it um, in the same way. And I've never really taken to like, oh, I'm just going like to go write stories and shoot iPhone stuff. Um, so in the in the lull, in the like, man, I'm slow. What can I do? Um, I realized like I if I'm in this industry, it'd be the best benefit to me to like meet everybody I possibly can and let them know I exist. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I just started knocking on doors. Uh, you know, historically, I don't know what it was pre pre pandemic and with that past um production company i always did pretty well in the midwest i always you know whether mm-hmm. it was food brands or maybe i just my my non sense of humor humor resonated there and i was able to get jobs out of that market uh fast food and you know snack food brands or freezer brands and so you know we were going to chicago for uh another job my wife was from is from there and so it's easy to like be able to be there for a longer time. And so I just went down the list. I, you know, I, I looked up all the sales reps and people that How represent, look them up. Oh, you know, just like, Oh, who's, who represents MJZ, who represents world war seven, who represents art class. Like just go to each of those, um, websites, you know, uh, like Harold Einstein is a, a favorite of mine. And so he's rep by Sue Rosen. And I'm like, let's just reach out. Let's see. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so I just you went. I, so just to, for people that have no idea what what the heck you just said, yeah, you went to production companies you like, like huge production companies that make yep. Super Bowl commercials. You went to the contact page on their website that yep. has who represents them: West Coast, East Coast, who, UK, who their sales reps are Midwest. specifically, yep. right? So like the represent like that's a different person or entity for yeah. each territory. Like we had right? Nikki Weiss a few episodes ago. Highly recommended yep. episode. Who is, is the Midwest rep? So you found yep. those people. Yeah, found those people, started emailing them. You know, some of them got back to me and either what just did, did a call. What did I say to them? I was like, uh, oh gosh. Um I was an example. Hey Mo, my name's Tom. I'm a comedy director and I do these types of things. Check out a couple of recent examples. I'm in Chicago for two weeks, and I thought it'd be great if we could get together. If you have a spare moment, I'll come to the city. I'm happy to meet and just hear what you got going on. And then people be like, let's grab lunch tomorrow or, or not, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. again, you're sending, you know, you're sending 10, 15 emails in the morning and then two people write back. And, and when you grab lunch, who pays for it? Uh, I would usually offer, but sometimes people will buy me lunch. Yeah. I mean, I'll offer to buy it. Sometimes they'll buy mine. Other times it's already like, I'm an easy person to do drinks or coffee. Cause I only drink water. And so it's really easy to be like, what are you going to get? I'm like a water. Uh, and they're like, Oh, well, let me get it. And I'm like, okay. You could buy my water. I'm not mad. I, I feel like we, we, people are going to be a little confused unless you explain, yeah. Tom, that you literally only drink water. Yeah, I literally, I made a bet when I was 13 years old to drink nothing but water for the rest of my life. And now my only drinking water is 21 years old. It's, it's able to drink. He literally yeah. one time accidentally drank sparkling water, put it to his lips and almost died. I didn't know. <laughs> that hasn't happened. But so I can. I, I, I'm you told me you though. had a meeting and you accidentally got the picked up the sparkling water. I can sense it. Yeah, no, that was Sam you, Cosby you at Anomaly. Yeah, agency you. producer was trying to trying to get me. Oh, so, that's uh, fun. That's yeah, every fun. now and again, every now and again, I'll have a crew member. Or, I you know, take someone, it back. Someone. That's not fun. That's not fun. Yeah. As a vegetarian who was a, a teenager, <laughs> oh, I've gotten you so many time. times, Matt. I've never even told you. <laughs> you must make that work for you, right? Like if you meet for quote unquote coffee or, or drinks, 
and you say, oh, I, I happen to only drink water. And then you have a little spiel, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not as much as you think. It's funny because it's it's really only when I meet new people that it comes up again. A lot of times people don't even clock it. And, you know, a lot of sure. people are like, oh, I only, I only drink water too. And they're sitting there holding a coffee. And you're like, okay, well, not the same. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but every now and again, I do find a kindred spirit. And so one of the one of the agency producers years ago, um, this woman named Henny, she used to be with Space 150. I'm not sure. I think she might be at Carmichael Lynch now, but yeah, she worked on this job, became aware that I only drank water, and then it became a thing of, hey, there was a water bar in Minneapolis, and so anytime you're in town, you gotta like visit the water bar, and then sure. because you, of the said you BMX over friend, water, you drink water, yeah. I drink water too. That's so crazy. Yeah, um. and so, um, but yeah, it's it's you know, I think it's it's definitely tough to like you know pick up your pick up the laptop and be like, I gotta reach, I gotta email people and come up with ways to stay in touch and it's easier as the relationships become more natural, you know, as you've worked with people and you've done a good job and they've liked you and to send them more work. Obviously when you're busy, it's very easy to be like, okay, you know, when I'm slow and I haven't shot anything to come up with a way to like email somebody, Mm -hmm. you know? And so one good thing about having the movies is that even the thing that Oren and I were working on the agency producer of that job randomly was just like I'm a horror fanatic. I'm gonna go watch Five Nights at Freddy's. Does anybody care to see it? And I was like, my friends wrote that. And she's like, what? Your friends wrote that? And then she's like, what else have they worked on? I was like, I made a movie called Tragedy Girls. And she's like, I love that movie. And so you know that job wrapped. It's been two weeks, and I was like, I'm gonna email her and ask her what she thought of Five Nights at Freddy's, and mm-hmm, tell her mm-hmm. that you know this other movie's coming out. And it just becomes an easy way to like keep in touch. And so I'm always doing that stuff. If if a movie I have is going to be on a new platform or something too. It's easy to, you know, people always ask me and in the moment you kind of forget like on a commercial shoot, like, Oh, you made a movie. Like, how do I watch it? And then it slips your mind. And so that's an easy one is years later or, you know, yeah. A couple of years ago by you're like, by the way, such and such, my movie is now streaming for free yeah. on Amazon. You should check it out. Here's my website. If you know anybody looking freebie. for freebie.com slash. Yeah. Yeah. Freebie.com. So you emailed what? So you send like 40 emails, you get 10 responses, you meet with five people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And five might be high. I mean, and, and, you know, some people just want to do a phone call. Some people are just like... How many people did you end up meeting with in your, on your Chicago run? When I was in Chicago at the beginning of the year, I ended up meeting with like six people. But two of them were people that I like knew. You know, two of them mm-hmm. were like, mm-hmm. hey, we've been in touch and we've just been like trying to get on, get in front of each other. And so that was the trip where like the dots connected. But what, um, what one I like of those, this though, like having sales reps, like being able to be like, Hey, here's the occasion is I'm in, I'm from out of town and I want to meet. Right. And also your hit list is Googleable. It's not just like, Oh, who do I know? You're reaching out to new fresh people with right. an, with an excuse is nice. You know what I mean? Cause I, I think that's part of like, it's like, ah, if you hit up the same people over and over again and you don't have anything fresh, then it, that's when it starts to feel counterproductive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's funny because that's kind of like the thing that I I feel like is my dream scenario, which nobody ever takes me serious about is I feel like if I aligned with the right production company and I was able to say, these are the people I know, these are the areas where I've done well on my own. This is your sales reps and whatever regions. These are the agencies that have liked you. 
I'm, you know, I'm willing to go face, like I'm willing to book a ticket and randomly be in New York for a week just to meet people or Detroit or Dallas or Austin, wherever. And I feel like, you know, I've, I've never gotten, I haven't really had a lot of people approach me about rostering again. You know, I'm, I'm almost up to 15 jobs this year on my own. And I'm like, man, Mm -hmm. if we, you know, that's business, you know, that's, then some of those jobs are 400 K plus. So it's like, that's money for a company that if we could align together and tackle some of these relationships, like there's a way to supercharge that or just even getting, you know, cause yeah, there are certain agencies and production companies in this brave new world that are like, oh, it's very advantageous to have a freelance director. We don't want to deal with production companies. We don't want to deal with markups. There's mandates within our agency conglomerate to hire internal production. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, I could just be slotted in and just do it. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. But then there are, you know, independent agencies and other agencies where they're like, we only want people on a roster. We don't want someone freelance. And so in my mind, I'm like, man, if I aligned with the right company that was willing to like, just chat through my relationships and, you know, put the time in with their sales rep to be like, hey, yeah, let's put Tom around for a week in Chicago or a week in Minneapolis or wherever. And I'm not even asking them to pay for it. I'm like, I'll go there. I feel like there could be a way to like ramp it up. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not that directors aren't entrepreneurial. I don't think people always trust the entrepreneurialness. Because like when we made our movies, you know, the only way we made our movies is we would get together at 8 a.m. and we'd be like, everybody puts 10 names on the whiteboard and you go call those 10 people and you, you report back. And we did that for six months straight, calling people, asking them to invest in a movie. And, you know, we raised $500,000 in eight months. Um, and so I just tried to apply that same thought process of like, if I could reach out to 10 new people every day, one of them's bound to be like, yeah, let's meet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been moments where I've talked to, it's, it's always easy in the new year, which is also the time that most people do it. Like, hey, it's the new year. But there's been times I've had phone calls in January that like you get booked on something in November and it's like 11 months later that thing pays dividends, you know, and with Instagram, it's real easy. You know, that's a classic one. I love to put the email like I just want to be on your radar and then they follow you on Instagram and then you get on You get on a little run where you're doing five jobs in a row or six jobs in a row. And it's like this guy's shooting every week. What the hell's going on? And then all of a sudden those people are like, let's do something. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, again, it's like I got to shoot happening next week. Uh, about to leave for I just got asked for another one in Chicago through a contact that I met earlier this year that one is a it's a it's a 50 50 it's a it's a double bid um but it always feels like it's going to be the end of the road you know it's mm-hmm. like this is the end no more work and well, so Tom, uh, I, I think you're going to be all right I don't think it's the end of the road <laughs> you never know me and Oren can get in that right. spiral yeah sure sure yeah. Oh, this is it this is over oh i'm yeah, spiraling right now yeah yeah <laughs> i haven't shot since last uh, week last week yeah last week yeah yeah and so a lot of those jobs you got this year are from those meetings right yeah a, f- a fair amount of them. a couple of them um recently were from those meetings some of them were just from like you know maybe i wasn't in that territory like we did a i did a big thing with bbdo um basically against everyone's advisement bbdo has this free platform that you can sign up for the flare marketplace and like mm-hmm. they they'll put like open briefs yeah. on there and they always ask you they're like oh just put like a little one word you know sorry one page 
you know, no images, just like a one page document together, like why you be a good fit. And so um, I was like, you know, I haven't written a treatment in a while. I'm just going to write a full treatment right now. And I oh, made. Sorry, sorry, hold on. I want, I want to back up for, for people here because yep. so, so BBDO has, I didn't realize it was BBDO, but there, there's like yeah. essentially like an ad pitch marketplace called Flare. And there's a few yep. others out there like this as well. I'm trying yep. to think of like Gennaro. They're, they feel almost like in that Tongle world. Yeah. But they're like a little bit more elevated. Right. So Flare is kind yep. of like, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, kind of the, the best of that category, basically. But it's still uh, kind yes. of up for grabs, basically, right? Yeah, as far as my knowledge, because, you know, they, they'll put stuff on there like, oh, two-day TV, you know, 250, 215s. You're like, that's, you know, you can make that work. Um, but what their ask is, their ask is always like, hey, submit three to five relative, rel- you know, relevant examples and then give us like a one-page, you know, Word document that just says who you are, what you'd bring to it, and like timeline or proposed budget range. And so, yeah, it was the start of the year and I was slow and I was like, you know what? Why don't I just make a full on 40 page treatment and just design it and do whatever and Mm -hmm. submitted it. And then that just kind of was like, wait a minute, this is different than what we normally get submitted on here. And so a couple of the people that were involved in that platform called me and were like, let's talk. And then uh, I had, again, Midwest had been good to me. And so I shot for BBDO back in like 2017 or 18. Um, pre the flare marketplace. Um, and so I, I'd worked with them. I got along with them and then, you know, you just kind of get out, you fall out of touch. I went off and made another movie and wasn't really focusing on commercials. And so I was like, I just need to get in front of them again in a serious way. And so, you know, through that BBDO Atlanta was like, Oh yeah, this guy does good work. And so then that's how I ended up on the ham thing. Did you book the flare job or was it just, it just opened doors. They just were like, Oh, great job. Let's talk. That's right. I be, yeah, I became an agency recommend, but um, the other guy again. This is someone that I was like, oh, I would have picked him too. The other director that I was up against had a very like his re, you know, it's the classic. Oh, we're shooting a commercial where someone you know takes a sip mm-hmm. and does a smile. Mm-hmm. You better have that in your first clip. And so this other director had in spades ten of the exact spot they were wanting to make, and it mm-hmm. was like even if I maybe had some fun ideas that got the creative directors excited and the agency producer excited, um, the client was like, well, well, for the safety the of our money, yeah, 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 this we'll get yeah. this exact thing, but you know, it opens the door, gets you on the radar. And then, um, and that's the thing too, you know, it's, 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 there's always the classic actor phrasing where actors will say, um, you know, you got to separate the audition from the job and learn how to enjoy auditioning, whether you get it or not. And that's, I mean, you know, I think that that's part of how pitching goes is like, you're not, yes, you're pitching for that job, but you're also pitching to be relevant to them. And Mm -hmm. I'll follow up agents, you know, if I pitch something and I don't get it, and like I had a nice experience with the creatives or the agency producer, like I'll stay in touch with those people. And like, you know, when that job comes out, I'll I'll, I'll send them comments or feedback about it and then mm-hmm. tell them what I'm doing. And you let them know, you know that it uh, rocked your heart. Yeah, it, it rocked my heart. Um, a very great thing to say. To <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, Tom, um, this has been very educational, pretty inspiring. There's so much to unpack in terms of just like follow through networking, building out a body of work. So 
If you were paying attention, listeners, I think there's a lot there. Certainly, I'm taking notes. There's some really good stuff. Do you have a few more minutes to hang out and endorse with us? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unpaid endorsements. I got a weird one. I love the Criterion Channel streaming service. It's great. They've got a film from the 90s on there called Belly. It stars Nas and DMX. And it like I always was intrigued by it as a kid in the video store because it has this really incredible cover of them in like white suits and like it's big, like big, awesome, blocky font. And I had friends who loved it. And I just like never, never was like, felt like, oh, like, do I know enough about hip hop to get this movie or whatever? Like, I just didn't, I never picked it up, basically. So now I noticed, oh, it's now on the Criterion channel. Interesting. And realized it's directed by Hype Williams. And so it's like a, like a crime thriller. I'm watching it before I go to sleep in 10 minute increments, basically, like I've been doing a lot lately. That's what I've got uh, budgeted in my life for right now. Um, But it's bonkers. It's like, you know, imagine if, you know, Hype Williams in the 90s, kind of at the height of his powers, he's doing double exposures. The lighting is insane. You know, there's all sorts of trick shots. It's really fun. And so um, I guess it's twofold. One, Belly's a cool movie. You should watch it. Um, And two, those movies that you were maybe curious about when you were younger that you never picked up or whatever, they're probably streaming now. So, uh, you know, give it a shot. Uh, You got an endorsement, Tom? For those that live in Los Angeles, I recently stumbled into a restaurant, a dim sum house uh, in Chinatown called Mama Lou's. Very nice. I was I was surprised. I didn't discount it, but there's the very very popular in Glendale and Arcadia, um, Din Tai Fung. Sure. Yes, sure. could be pricey, could be a long wait, could be sure. hard to get into. And so, yeah, we were we were having the kids out for a late night exploration in their new wagon, and we stumbled across Mama Lou's, and I was like, "Damn, this is nice. It was very good, very reasonably priced." Mama Lou's, I'll check it out. Yeah, Mama Lou's. But for anybody in the rest of the world, um, the rest of the country, yeah, my a friend of mine who worked on the film Tragedy Girls has a movie coming out on Friday called It's a Wonderful Knife, and so uh, it could be a wonderful time. Do you like horror films? Do you like uh, crossover, thriller, slasher, holiday? Uh, hits theaters on Friday, so I'll probably see it. Kaplan, what you got? So I just upgraded to Mac OS Sonoma. Have you mm-hmm. guys done it yet? I have not. So there's this feature. I guess like 50% of Mac users have the same problem, which is a desktop filled with a thousand icons. Mm-hmm. There's this feature. It's called Stacks. Right click on your desktop, click use stacks. It takes like all your images, puts them in one stack. It takes all your oh, audio files. Right. So I went from like 200 things on my desktop to three icons. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's amazing. And so now I have, yeah, I have like my images. It's actually almost all images. Images and then I have screenshots and that's it. And if you click on the stack, it opens up. You can see everything in it. Click on it again, closes. Amazing, amazing feature to just declutter your life and just give you give your desktop a little zen. Okay, Tom, if we want to follow you, TomMorrisFilm.com, at Tom yeah. Morris. What's your... I have all of them. I have TomMorrisFilm.com, at TomMorrisFilm. 
vimeo.com slash tom morris film but that's really it yeah i'm not good at all the other, i'm not good at all the social medias but instagram i will be posting those promised photos of the family on set if you have questions for us or questions for tom we can always forward them along you can hit us up at just shoot a pod at gmail.com and across all social media at just shoot a pod and me at Mr. Matt Unlow. And I'm at O. Kaplan on Instagram. This episode is edited by Noah Bayshore. Our producer is Tyler Small. You're listening to the music from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. We will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.